everybody. Welcome to the June 12, 2015 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you very much for joining us. Let's get a quick take on President Bill Clinton's recent visit to, the Col to Colorado for the Clinton Global Initiative Annual Meeting. Patty Calhoun from Westward, do you think this is the first of our campaign visits from the Clintons? I would say the first was last year for the Clinton Global Initiative when Hillary came too. This, uh, they're going to Atlanta next year, so we know we won't get the Clinton Global Initiative again for a while, but we are certainly going to have plenty of visits from Clintons and everyone else. It's interesting he made, did make some news while he was here, talked about the fact that he would not be accepting paid speaking engagements while his wife is running for president, talked a little bit about the issues on what had been donated to the, uh, to their foundation. So. Um, and talked a lot by all accounts, so it looked like a pretty interesting program. Mike Krause, the Independence Institute, it didn't seem like coincidence to me that uh, a battleground state like Colorado would host the annual meeting for, for the, the Clinton Global Initiative. What did you think? A pretty astonishing coincidence, if it's a coincidence, but uh, obviously, even if it wasn't meant to be a presidential campaign visit, it turned into one as Bill Clinton found himself on Bloomberg News defending the Clinton Foundation and the and frankly to uh, to one of the ordinary Americans Hillary Clinton claims to want to represent as president what looks like some of the most blatant and large-scale pay-for-play uh, that I've ever seen and so uh, yeah if this is a signal of things to come I think you're gonna be seeing a lot of the Clintons defending themselves rather than being proactive Eric Sonnen political analyst um, I guess I took uh, a little bit less from Bill Clinton's uh, defense of whatever else because maybe for me it's just Clinton fatigue, but I'm used to them defending one way or another about fundraising. It's just more about setting up the, the calendar that we're going to start seeing President Bill Clinton and Hillary Clinton more and more often, especially, maybe I'm wrong, I don't see a whole lot of Democratic opposition between her and the nomination. We'll see. I mean, if she continues to have week after week after week like the last two months have been, Anything is possible, but it's hard to see how anyone derails um, derails that that freight train. My favorite line from Bill Clinton this week, uh, as reported in the Denver Post, was his quote that I've never cared for the money. Um, <laughs> when anyone tells you it's not about the money, you know it's about the money. Uh, I read it, and you might be right, Patty, I read it a little differently. Not that he wouldn't accept paid speaking gigs during the campaign, but maybe after if Hillary becomes president. Um, we shall we shall see everything about the Clinton Foundation. Yes, they do good deeds around the uh, around the world, but the notion that they weren't thinking that this was going to be seen through a microscope of a presidential campaign. These are the most consummate political people in the world, and the fact that they didn't take that in mind, it was about the money. <laughs> <laughs> and running out the panel today for the first time, Mike Sacconi, Director of Communications at Keystone Policy Center. Thanks for joining us. Uh, wrap it up for us. Thanks for having me here. Uh, I think having the Clinton Global Initiative here in Colorado certainly showed, again, Colorado will continue to be at the epicenter of the 2016 election, just as it has been at the every uh, national election over the past several cycles. I think what it also points out is how Colorado, there were a lot of great discussions at the Clinton Global Initiative, and what this also underscores is that Colorado will continue to be at the policy forefront, whether it's energy innovation, education reform, and those conversations uh, honestly should be a challenge to lawmakers here and policymakers of all stripes to keep us at the forefront of those uh, policy discussions. Arapahoe County DA George Brockler's tweet sent during the Aurora Theater trial last week became the reason behind the dismissal of three jurors this week. Brockler became a, a quick target for left-leaning media sites, possibly based on his potential as a U.S. Senate candidate next year. 
Patty, uh, we don't do uh, you know regular updates about the trial, uh, the Aurora Theater trial. However, this was bigger. You had jurors being dismissed. You had uh, George Brockler, high profile, whether it's a possible U.S. Senate candidate or not, a high profile Republican as a DA. Uh, what did you make of the week's events? Well, that you should probably leave your smartphone behind. Don't take it into the Senate if he runs for Senate. <laughs> you know how everyone likes mocking you if you're on Facebook when you're uh, supposed to be thinking about laws. And probably don't have it at the prosecutor's table, too, and learn the difference between a text and a tweet. The story about how one of the jurors, and we don't know if they were jurors or substitutes because they haven't announced which is which, one of the jurors' husbands had basically said, hey, did you hear how that idiot was tweeting during the trial, and the idiot turned out to be George Brockler, who is the prosecutor, the DA on this case. So, uh, and supposedly a lot more was discussed, this juror or substitute or uh, alternate told two others. So two are three are gone, although it still hasn't seemed to cramp the style of the prosecution. They are planning on wrapping up their case within the next 10 days. Today is a day that's off. But some of the things that came up this week are pretty damning. A girl who had dated James Holmes, who had evidence also on social media about the fact that he was talking about that he wanted to harm people, but you also have evidence that he saw people many times. He sought um, help at the hospital, at the CU hospital. So it's going gonna, it's gonna to be tough to prove whether or not he was not legally insane by this. Mike, I guess we can, as our habit is here at this table, is to speculate wildly without any regard to reason or facts. But when you look at George Brockler as a politician, I mean, he's an elected DA, and looked at in, in Republican ranks as someone at least part of their bench for the future, whether it's the Senate, gubernatorial, whatever it's going to be, um, is this something that sticks to him as a problem or a blip on the radar? Well, I think it's probably a blip on the radar. I mean, he, he very quickly um, you know, apologized for it and was contrite about it and, and, and deleted it. I think the more interesting part of this is, is it, it shows these uh, how bureaucracies uh, look at their own rules versus how the real world works. And these jurors were actually dismissed uh, for violating the judge's instructions not to consume media about the trial because they're only supposed to base their decision on the facts they hear inside the courtroom. Think about what that means for a minute. That means that you can't peruse the Denver Post website because there's going to be a headline there about Brockler tweeting. Right? You can't watch a local news channel. And so, it's a, so clearly, unless you're sequestered, clearly these jurors do consume somewhere in their day-to-day -day life, hear something from a friend, see something on TV, hear it on the radio, driving to work in the morning. So it would be next to impossible to not actually consume outside media about the trial. It's only when all of a sudden it becomes something, uh, there's an impetus to where the judge has to take action. So these people are gone. That doesn't mean that the jurors aren't actually consuming that media. So it's an interesting little rule that obviously is not enforceable. Eric, what do you think? Does this stick to Brockler? Is it a, a bigger issue for the trial? Does it become a, a, a subtext uh, as we move forward past this week? Excuse me. I was just <laughs> tweeting here while Patty and Mike were talking. Let me just wrap this up. Uh, no, I don't think it sticks to Brockler. In the, in the, by the time George Brockler, who's a very ambitious uh, Republican wannabe candidate, whether it's for the Senate in two years or I think more likely the governor's race in, in 2018. But when it, whenever that is, there are going to be so many other issues related to George Brockler. This is a, a, a speed bump in the road. Uh, even in that, if that, it was, a, it was certainly an ill-timed tweet. I am totally with Mike here. This notion 
that these jurors, if you want them to keep them from being exposed to any media, then you have to sequester them. If you're going to let them go home at night, drive in rush hour traffic back and forth to the courthouse where they're listening to who knows what, they have access to all their social media channels, uh, the notion that these people are not somehow being exposed to news and speculation about the trial I think is ultimately naive and I don't regard Judge Samore as naive. I think this was one that was so blatant and that they hadn't come to him that, that he had to take action. I think the worst thing in the world would be to be one of those jurors and have to sit through this endless trial, but not to be a juror, to be a substitute juror, where you basically give up months and months of your life, and then at the end of it they say, oh, thank you very much, uh, you know, here's, uh, here's money for a cup of coffee, uh, and these other 12 people will be rendering uh, the, the decision. So we don't know which jurors it, w it was uh, that were excused, but uh, maybe they just uh, were able to go home to their families and their Facebook a, a few months earlier. <laughs> That's a good point. Uh, Mike, you've worked in communications for a long time. You worked both for uh, uh, John Southers, back when Attorney General, and for Mark Udall. Um, if you're in the, I'm not sure if even George Brockler has a communications department, but if he has a communications advice person in you, how do you advise him recovering from this uh, event? Leave the tweeting to the professionals. <laughs> I realize I have a self-interest in saying that, but <laughs> I, I, I think this may be a blip, as Mike said, but what it shows beyond a reasonable doubt uh, for anybody that's courting him to run for Senate or governor uh, is they should question some of those instincts or possibly get him some training on when to and not to pull the trigger on a tweet. I agree with the defense in this case. If you're trying to put a needle in someone's arm, you need to be paying 100% attention to what's going on in the courtroom and not sending tweets. Denver police officials announced this week new regulations will prohibit firing weapons at a moving vehicle unless officers are being fired upon. The announcement comes on the heels of District Attorney Mitch Morrissey deciding that no charges will be filed against the two officers that shot and killed Jessica Hernandez earlier this year. Uh, Mike, this was uh, a pretty big story. Uh, we had local protests when it comes to the, what happened to Jesse Hernandez. Um, as you see the change in policy, was it the right thing for the Denver police to do? I think, I think that if it appeared to be just like a knee-jerk reaction to, a, you know, oftentimes when new policies or laws are implemented on the heels of either an injustice or a tragedy or a combination of the two, it's often bad policy. In fact, they say that any law named after, like, a dead kid is often a bad law. Uh, but um, in this case, this whole idea of the police shooting at moving vehicles has actually been debated for a long time within police circles and within police policy circles. So it's not like they just grabbed this out of thin air. In fact, the, the police foundation has recommended it, and I believe the uh, second police think tank, the Police Executives Research Foundation, has also recommended this. And New York implemented this over a decade ago. L.A. has implemented this. And uh, the, the data shows that this hasn't necessarily caused any uh, new safety hazards to officers. What it, the rationale behind it is, of course, that uh, you don't know who else is in that car. And so oftentimes, if you're firing on a car that's moving, you don't know if there's a kid in a car seat. In fact, this happened in, in Santa Fe not too long ago where a, a, a guy hijacked a car, stole a car, and turned out to be a four-year-old in the back seat, and the police fired on it. And uh, so there's good reasons to do this, but he, they didn't grab it out of thin air. And if it appeared that they had grabbed it out of thin air as a way to kind of appease what had happened, uh, then I think it would be open to criticism. But it is, I think it's a pretty legitimate policy that's going around the country. Eric, what do you think about the optics of the announcement being just about 48 hours after uh, Mitch Morrissey's <coughs> announcement about the officers? I thought the optics were curious, that the timing was a little close in my mind. I think the new policy 
I'm not an expert in these issues, doesn't stop us around this table, but uh, <laughs> the new policy seems to make sense to me um, as opposed to the old policy. That said, I also support uh, Mitch Morrissey's decision not to file charges here. I think the, the, the officers, unlike in many other cases where there is some deep suspicion, uh, I don't think charges were due or warranted uh, in this particular case. So the optics were curious that they chose, that Chief White chose to link it that closely uh, to Morrissey's decision. I thought the real news of the week was this recall campaign that has been launched by a lot of minority and left-leaning groups against Mitch Morrissey, saying that he, in 11 years as a DA, has never filed a case against the police. Now, it takes 53,000 signatures over the next few months to get a recall on the ballot, which means you need 70 or 80,000. It's a high bar to do that, but it is indicative to me of how hot this issue is these days, certainly around the country, but right here in Denver and many communities, that this is even being considered, much less being pursued. Mike, do you think the announcement, the timing of the announcement from the Denver police was meant to um, codify or at least address uh, any uh, community anger over the lack of charges being filed? Probably. I mean, th th that's a quick timeline to have a new policy together. That said, uh, and while the optics of that certainly are curious, I think Chief White and the department are to be lauded for quickly acting and, and bringing their standards in line with not only New York City, but also Aurora and other major metropolitan areas. Patty, what do you think, the, the right thing we're going to do and, and the right timing? Well, the most curious timing was the fact that the Jesse Hernandez decision for Morrissey came down Friday afternoon. You know, when you always try to sneak the news that that might upset people because they're not going to hear it. Uh, Chief White had actually announced months ago that he was looking into this policy. People had, we'd written it, other people had written it, that Denver was behind what other major police departments are doing with its policy on shooting at moving vehicles. There were four different shoots. Uh, DPD shoots and moving vehicles that injured people since last July. So that they came down with this decision, right, they announced it two days afterwards is a little curious, but that they made that decision is the right one and it's good that they announced it. I'm with Eric. I think the DA's race is going to be crazy. That I mean, you could recall Mitch Morrissey, but he's not going to be there very long. There are three very interesting candidates who've all announced they're running for his seat. And it is going to be the hot election that we probably, that we didn't have with the mayor's race. But I think there'll be a lot of discussion. And that's the election that happens in November because they, they moved that one from the regular municipal elections? Right, because it's with the DAs gotcha. across the state. Gotcha. He's a, technically a statewide official. Ah, there you go. Okay. Jefferson County Public Schools resumed its negotiations on a new contract with its teachers union this week. The negotiations, now open to the public, have become more tense over various issues, including a strike FAQ sheet that was sent to union members last month by the union. Meanwhile, Marcia Neal, chairman at the State Board of Education, announced her resignation this week. Uh, Eric, a lot of issues in education. Uh, take your pick, whether it's the State Board or Jeffco, lots of popping. Let me try to go quickly. At the, at the Jeffco level, it is tense, as you said in your question, Dominic. It is hot. It is only going to get more tense and hotter as the summer goes along. I believe there's an August 31st deadline on the master agreement out there. There are all kinds of issues of how they hire new starting teachers in the interim to start school here in you know six or eight or ten weeks from now. 
but the bigger issue is whether there's going to be a master agreement or whether this follows uh, along with Douglas County a number of years ago where they basically did away with the teachers union, decertified the union, and operate without a union. And somehow kids are still getting educated uh, in Douglas County. We'll see how big that school board wants to go uh, on this agenda. But this is a battle royale, and we're still just in the preliminary rounds here. The, the, the real rounds are to be fought in July and August and maybe come September, October, if there is some kind of strike action or what have you at the state level. Quickly, um, in Marsha Neal, who's this uh, wonderful older woman, Republican from Grand Junction, been on that board a while. She finally walked away and just said, this is completely dysfunctional, and she has the right word. Um, that, that board needs to take a good, hard look in the mirror at how it operates, and one board member in particular. Mike, looking at both these issues, is there one that you think has a greater impact on the, the next couple of months, whether it's in Jeffco or the state board? Well, I think that they both are, are certainly going to be big issues statewide. I mean, the, the State Board of Education affects policy for the entire state. Jeffco uh, uh, has been a leader uh, uh, in education policy. Uh, I think, if nothing else, uh, both Marsha Neal and what's going on at the Jeffco board, both with uh, the negotiations as well as some of the other issues that have been batted about this table, uh, these should wake people up to the importance of some of these local elections for local boards, as well as the consequences when we either don't have a primary or have a very low turnout primary on the Republican or the Democratic side for these candidates. I mean, these are typically very low turnout uh, affairs, and you're starting to see the effects of that uh, in Jeffco as well as the state board. Uh, it just causes dysfunction and lets, uh, honestly, crazy people get on these these boards and commissions that throw them out of whack and make them lead to people like Marsha Neal, who I knew in Grand Junction. I covered her when I was a reporter at the Grand Junction Daily Sentinel. She's an honorable public servant, and it's a real loss for the state, especially if this dysfunction has pushed her to step down early. Patty, what does it say when a chairwoman of the State Board of Education announces, I'm walking away because this is dysfunctional? She's not saying spend time more, for, more time with her family or anything else. She's calling her shot as she leaves. What does the state board need to do to respond? Uh, maybe become functional. So we've heard a lot about problems at the state board this this year. Uh, fights about testing, fights about the student health questionnaire, you know, that they have dug in their heels on some of the more random things that are not the issue. They're not really acting in a leaderly way. They're not setting a good example for the students of Colorado. Let's put it that way. There's so many big issues to discuss. And they are not leading the way. They are instead just obfuscating. So it is a sad loss. It looked like she wasn't going to, she's done a good life of public service. She doesn't need to stay that much longer. But that she is leaving and leaving behind an organization that she felt she needed to criticize as she left is really significant. Mike, I know you know that uh, Complete Colorado broke the whole story in Jeffco that the union sent out that strike FAQ. And obviously, since the election in 2013 of the Jeffco County School Board, when you had those three more conservative members as the majority, both sides have not been bashful about taking on uh, each other. Was this a warning shot from the union saying, hey, we'll go there if we have to, or just part of negotiation strategy? Well, I think it was a combination of both. I mean, it's a, it's a classic public sector union negotiation strategy to say we're going to negotiate in good faith while at the same time